Well, it's good to see you this morning, and I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you'd like to use a pew Bible, I believe that's page 988. And I believe I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5 from verses 12 through 22 today. I think your text, your order of service is 24, but I think we're going to read it through verse 22. This is Paul. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's coming toward the end of his letter. And this is what he says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us in Christ. And I ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, here in these verses that I just read, verses 12 to 22... We have Paul's uh, highly uh, compressed, uh, abbreviated summary of instruction about church life. That's really what it is. He speaks about respect for our leaders. He speaks about our life together in fellowship and how we relate to one another. He speaks about our corporate worship and prayer. He speaks to prophecy, which we're actually going to look at in two weeks. That will be my sermon and those verses on prophecy because there's so much prophesying going on around here. But our focus today is on Paul's teaching on prayer. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When you hear those three verses, you notice... Each verse is just, you know, basically two, three, four, five words, very short verses. They all belong together. Um, they really do. And here what we have is praise, rejoice always, and intercession, pray without ceasing, and thanksgiving, give thanks in all circumstances. We have them brought together, completely together. And you've probably noticed, but I'll draw your attention to it anyway, you've probably noticed how Paul adds the same emphasis to each of these verbs about prayer, whether it's talking about praise or rejoicing or praying and interceding or giving thanks. He adds always without ceasing in all circumstances. And here's the problem with that. We find this not only here in the New Testament, but throughout the New Testament, this this language of ceaselessness, of constancy, of always. And I think the problem we can have with that is we can read Paul's words as if he is stating an ideal. 
that this is ideally what should happen. Or this is what the ideal Christian does. And we can actually, I think, rather easily sort of pass it off. I mean, even the best of us can well think, I'm not ideal. I try my best to pray. I resolved time and time again to pray, to pray more. And then I just fall back into my own, my old pattern. I feel like a failure. Maybe back then, in the first century, maybe they knew something or they felt something that I don't know or that I, I haven't felt. This is, this is really beyond me. It's not within my reach. And so it's really not for me. What I want to suggest this morning is that we think differently and hopefully thinking differently, more biblically in a couple of respects. And this is what it is to grow in our faith, to think more and more biblically, to know the truth in our hearts that the Holy Spirit is really writing there so our lives change. I want us to think a little bit differently about this. First, I just want to assure you that the Apostle Paul never mentioned prayer or wrote about prayer in order to enshrine prayer as some unattainable ideal, as really something that's, that's beyond reach, except on our best days, perhaps, when we're on our best behavior and are feeling our most pious. Paul does not write about prayer like that at all. He writes, when he writes about prayer, he is writing about normal Christian life in the Spirit. That's what he's writing about. Normal Christian life in the Spirit. He, he, so often when he writes about prayer, he's writing about how he prays. Or he's writing about how others pray. Or he's instructing and encouraging ordinary Christians in how, in how they're to pray. Whenever he writes about prayer, uh, he, he always talks about, in terms of always, virtually always, always, in all times, in every circumstance, that no matter what. And he writes this way so frequently, not... Because he's harping on it, trying to make a point to obstinate Christians. It's not because he's trying to needle people he knows feel like a secret failure when it comes to, to prayer. He writes about prayer this way because this is the, one of the very best ways to describe Christian prayer. It's a great way to describe Christian prayer. You know, in going through Paul's 13 epistles or so, he, he used the word always in writing. He used that word 16 times. 16 times. And in six of those 16 instances, he's referring to this or to that. But in 10 of those instances, he's talking about prayer. The same thing with a term that's translated without ceasing. He uses that term four times in his letters. And in each instance, he's writing about, about prayer. So he's not writing about you know, some ideal. He writes about this all the time and writes about prayer in this way. He's writing about normal Christian life in the Spirit. The second way I'd like us to think a little differently perhaps about this is um, concerning ourselves in prayer. And I would just simply say this. If you feel perhaps like you're a bit of a failure in prayer... Uh, you're, you're not alone. Don't single yourself out as if you're a special case. Uh, Michael Reeves, in his booklet on prayer, as you know, we've been handing copies of that out in relation to a prayer vigil. 
It's called Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Michael Reeves. The title doesn't do justice to the little booklet. It's wonderful, wonderful to read. Diane and I have been reading it to each other at night. Uh, it's a great, great booklet, and I hope you all get it. And I'll be quoting them today um, as a kind of a, a advertisement, as it were, but it's to the point of the sermon as well. Um, let me make one comment about Michael Reeves. I think Michael Reeves is up and coming as probably the brightest evangelical theologian in England right now. He's really quite remarkable, and he's so accessible. So I want to encourage you to think about reading his booklet. But um, in speaking of you, the fact that you're not alone, that you're not a special case, Reeves in his booklet on prayer points out how Calvin described prayer. And John Calvin described prayer as this way. He said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. It's the chief exercise of faith. Now, you and I know that faith is impossible, right, apart from the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing concerning the Word of Christ. It's impossible apart from the gospel of Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit working in us. The gospel is what gives us a radically new understanding of reality, beginning with who God actually is. And then it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the freedom and the joy to walk that out. So, that's what prayer is, the chief exercise of faith. So any of us who actually tries to, to pray on our own, and by praying on our own I mean praying out of our own understanding, and there is a common understanding about prayer still, or if we try to pray out of our own motivation even if we try to pray out of a sense of duty, I think we're bound to fail. I think we're bound to fail. And it's the case, isn't it? We fail when we try to live the Christian life in any other area on our own. And it's also true of prayer. I think we fail in prayer when we're trying to do this on our own. So, you're not a hopeless case. Uh, We can expect this as part of being sinful as human beings. But believe me, what Paul is writing about is truly, and we will see it, I hope, is very accessible to us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's not an ideal. It's normal life. It's normal life in the Spirit. And God has given you the Holy Spirit. So this is for you to take joyfully to heart. And if you doubt that it really is for you, or could use some encouragement, let me just point out how he concludes his threefold exhortation here. He concludes this threefold exhortation by saying, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now I have to say that for years I misread this last part of verse 18. Um, And here's, here's what I did with it. The whole verse reads, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so I always thought that this is the will of God was referring to those circumstances for which we're to give thanks. Give thanks in everything because this, which is everything, is God's will for you. But I, I was wrong. I was wrong. This phrase, for this is the will of God, refers to, um, it refers to our rejoicing, it refers to our praying, it refers to our giving thanks. It's a phrase that refers to what God is commanding us to do or calling us to do. 
That's the way this phrase is actually used. So you have an example of it in 1 Thessalonians 4 when Paul said, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You see, it's speaking to us about how we're to order or how we live our lives. Well, so here also, it's talking about our, our rejoicing always, our praying without ceasing, our giving thanks in all things. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. Common, ordinary Christian, sinner saved by grace. This is God's will for you. I want to draw your attention to one other thing, and that is that when Paul says it here in chapter 5, he adds this phrase, that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And that is very significant. Now that we are in Christ, now that we are in Jesus, God's will is that we pray without ceasing, that we give thanks always, that we rejoice always. In other words, let me put it differently. Now that we're in Jesus, it's possible for us to pray like Jesus. And this is God's will for us. It's possible for us to pray. So it's not an ideal. We're not hopeless cases. It really is for us. It really, really is for us. And it brings us to really the most fundamental thing about Christian prayer. It brings us to why and how Christian prayer is so different from any kind of other prayer offered in the world, unbelieving prayer, pagan prayer, any other prayer in the world, Christian prayer is really set apart. And I would describe it to you briefly in this way, that unbelieving prayer, other prayer, is really an attempt, it's our attempt to get God's attention. We pray because we want something from God. We pray because we're trying to get His attention. But in Christian prayer, we're simply giving God our attention. The fact that we have his attention is the sweet given. It is, it is the starting point for us. It's the, it's the wonderful confidence that we have. We have his attention. We pray in order to give him our attention. And not just our um, uh, attention, but when we bring our requests before him, we do so because we know we have his favor, that he really loves us. That he's the father of lights. He gives us good things, perfect gifts. There's no variation or shifting of shadows with him. He isn't going to respond to us when we come to him and ask him for a fish. He's not going to send us away with a stone. So there's a confidence about Christian prayer that's born not of a presumption, but of a knowledge of God's loving acceptance of us So we want to give ourselves to him. That's a very different dynamic in prayer. I also point out that unbelieving prayer is often seen and understood as an exercise. It's seen as a practice. It's seen as a formula. It's seen as a ritual. Christian prayer is not that. It's none of those things. Christian prayer is a relationship being cultivated. I mean, Christian prayer is spending time with God. That's what Christian prayer is. It's deeply interpersonal. Whether we are alone in our prayers or whether we're praying together, we're spending time with God. That's what Christian prayer is. And if we don't understand that, and if we don't approach prayer this way, 
then we're likely going to fall into the trap that drew Isaiah's rebuke. When he's, it was really God speaking through Isaiah who says, This people draws near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. Now, it's very possible to mumble and say all kinds of God words and Bible words and Scripture verses, but totally miss the point. Totally miss the point that we are to be spending. We are spending time with God. You've heard it said that prayer is conversation with God. It is. And that means it is speaking and it is listening. But it is never just silence. Honestly, I remember when we did our first prayer vigil last May, um, one of the questions folks had, and you may have it too, is like, I don't know what I'd do. How I'd spend an hour in, in, in prayer. And I think the fear in that is silence. It's silence. But I can tell you the Christian prayer is never just silence. And I believe, sincerely, the Holy Spirit sees to that. We speak. We listen. It's not just silence. As the chief exercise of our faith, this prayer springs from the gospel. You know, of course it springs from the gospel. Prayer is our first response to coming to faith in Christ. That's exactly what it is. Of course it is. Because in that prayer, we are... We are coming into the presence of God. We're coming. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Of course, that's exactly the response that happens. Now, in our evangelical or evangelistic fervor, you know, we've, we've sort of taken this idea and we've packaged it into the prayer of Jesus. So the saving prayer. And these are the words you say. This is, this is a formula that you follow. That's not it. It's not it. it. Prayer is our first response when God opens our heart. Because what is prayer? It's calling on God. It's drawing near to Him. And from A to Z throughout our Christian life, that's exactly what it is to be. Entering into a communion and fellowship with Him. What is the gospel? We hear the good news about Christ. We hear how God sent His Son to redeem us from our sins. And what do we say? I want to be forgiven? Well, I don't know any Christian who doesn't say I want to be forgiven. But what's more? What, what, is the, what is the full response to the gospel, the revelation of God in Christ? The full response is, I want to know this God. I want to know this God who forgives. I want to know Him. If Jesus came to make God known, And he came to draw us into his own relationship and fellowship with God. The relationship he's always had with God. If he did this at a terrible cost to himself to make this possible. The response, the fullness of response is, this is the God I want to know. I want to know him. Reeves says of Jesus that Jesus was the first prayer, pray. Hyphen er, the first to pray. I mean, he's always been in communion with the Father. And I want to say that this was the thing that shocked or surprised Jesus' disciples about him. When Jesus' disciples heard Jesus pray, they had never heard anyone pray that way before. Never. 
Jesus going off to be by himself so he would not be interrupted because he was not by himself. He was with God and he did not want to be interrupted. They had not seen this before. This is a man who was in a fellowship and relationship with the living God. And so they said to him, they came to him, they said, teach us how to pray. And in teaching them the Lord's Prayer, he was really teaching them to enjoy what he had always enjoyed, which is communion with the Father. It's a prayer of deep communion with the Father. You know the Our Father. You know the Lord's Prayer. Let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Folks, here is the most spirit-filled, genuine prayer that could ever be spoken to God. It is so full of tenderness and humility and love for God. It's the prayer of a son to a father whom he loves deeply and who knows that as he speaks to his father, this father, of course, hears and, of course, receives these petitions. And yet, how often in the world today is the Lord's Prayer recited by rote and in a vacuum of feeling, as if these words were just dry and dull and spiritless, so that the Pledge of Allegiance in a football game seems more heartfelt? And this is the whole point of the prayer that Jesus was teaching. You can have the words, you can know the language, and you can totally miss the point. It is fellowship and communion with God. Let me quote again from Reeves. He writes, when you default to thinking of prayer as an abstract activity, as a thing to do, or I would add as something to say, The tendency is to focus on prayer as an activity. And that makes prayer boring. If you think of prayer as an activity or an exercise, it's boring. Instead, Reese says, focus on the one to whom you're praying. This goes to the heart of Christian prayer. I would put it this way. If we think about praying... When we think about praying, we miss the point. (laughs) We've missed the point. And we must fail because Christian prayer is not about prayer. Any more than the Christian faith is about faith. It's about coming into the presence of our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit with the aid aid of the Spirit. All very theological. And it's very true. And it's important that we know that. But you can also think of it this way. Prayer is spending time with God. And only when we really see this for ourselves does rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. Only then does it begin to really make, to make sense. We praise, we rejoice always. Why? Because... In prayer. How, how, because of who we're with. Of who we're with. 
And we rejoice in Him. We pray without ceasing. Why, why would we do that? Why would we offer these intercessions and these petitions? Why? Because of who He is. He's the Father of good gifts. Why would we give thanks in, in every circumstance? Which means in spite of every circumstance. Why would we do that? Because of who He is. The sovereign, good, holy, righteous Father who will not send us away with a stone. Who knows what we need before we ask Him. It comes down to this. So when we think about prayer, we're not supposed to think about prayer. <laughs> think about Christ, our Father in Heaven. Think about it as we pray. We pray, Jesus has taught us, to pray to the one who has made himself our Father through Jesus. Who's made himself our Father. Through Christ and the incredible sacrifice that he made for us. And honestly, when we understand this about him, how can we not rejoice and be so grateful to be in his presence? How can we not offer our requests or petitions to him? And it's to this end that the Holy Spirit is working to stoke this within us, this desire and this hunger for communion with God, not for prayer as prayer, but for spending time with God. Paul writes in Romans 8, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So really, when we call on God as our Father in prayer, in this fellowship, when this is what we cry out to God from our heart, we are really responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in our hearts. When Jesus taught us to call God Father, He was revealing that He is always, God has always had a Son. And he was revealing that he is always, God has always been a father. And the Holy Spirit brings us into that communion, into that fellowship in prayer. And even when we're speechless ourselves, we don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit within us prays for us. Paul says a groaning is too deep for words. When we pray, when we take that this seriously and enter into communion and fellowship with God, afraid that we might just have silence, afraid that we might not know how to pray. God meets us and He teaches us how to pray. Again, the last time, Michael Reeves, prayer is not one-way conversation with God, us to God. No, in prayer, God speaks through us to God. God, the Holy Spirit, is at work in us and speaking through us to God the Father. And we do this in the name of Christ. We're swept up into the mystery of the Trinity in Christian prayer. So you can understand, if this is the case, how it is that the Holy Spirit uses Christian prayer to transform us. Apart from his, God's answering our prayers, how he uses our 
how he uses our Christian prayer to transform us, to be more like Christ. I mean, the more we share in God's life and through this fellowship of prayer, the more our desires and our purposes become his. The more our desires and our purpose in life is aligned with, with his own. I want to grow in Christ. I want to mature. Take your scripture. God's words, his promises, his instructions, his wisdom, his insight, and spend time with God. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. Pray in all circumstances. Don't dismiss this by thinking that that God is calling us or that Paul was expecting this as a church to spend every waking moment, hour, minute, second in prayer, in a pastor prayer. But he's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about a constancy of prayer in everything and at all times and no matter what. Paul's words really do describe normal Christian life in the Spirit and they're for us. And they make sense when we understand that what he means by prayer, what he's talking about, is our spending time with God. Well, my dear friend Mac Frampton always tells me my sermons have to be more practical. I have to tell people exactly what they're supposed to do about everything that I, about everything that I, I preach. So here's my practical application. If you've not signed up for the prayer vigil... This is a great time to do it. And the Lord will be teaching you. He will be teaching all of us. And we will be much richer for having grown and spending time with God. That's why we create these opportunities. Because in the world we live in, it's not a Christian world. It's not a Christian culture. It's not a Christian society. If we don't carve out opportunities... We won't have the opportunities to do what really brings us, I think, the richest and greatest joy and benefits as a Christian, which is prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. And I ask you now, hear our hearts, Father. Every one of us, individually, our response to this, Father, draw us. Draw me deeper into the fellowship of prayer with you through Christ by the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is not unattainable for me. This is not, this, this is not an impossibility. This, this is part of my normal Christian life. And I just thank you so much for it and for lifting us out of our cultural presumptions and prejudices and, and, and reluctances about what the Scripture says about prayer, to simply take that at base value as a normal part of our life. And we'll give you praise. Amen.